Chapter 5, Part 1 of The General History of the Pirates, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Kilmer. The General History of the Pirates, Volume 1, by Charles Johnson. Chapter 5, Part 1. Captain Edward England and his crew. Edward England went mate of a sloop that sailed out of Jamaica and was taken by Captain Winter, a pirate, just before their settlement at Providence, from whence England had the command of a sloop in the same laudable employment. It is surprising that men of good understanding should engage in a course of life that so much debases human nature and sets them upon a level with the wild beasts of the forest, who live and prey upon their weaker fellow-creatures. A crime so enormous, that it includes almost all others, as murder, rapine, theft, ingratitude, and etc. And though they make these vices familiar to them by their daily practice, yet these men are so inconsistent with themselves that a reflection made upon their honor their justice or their courage, is looked upon as an offense that ought to be punished with the life of him that commits it. England was one of these men, who seemed to have such a share of reason as should have taught him better things. He had a great deal of good nature, and did not want for courage. He was not avaricious, and always adverse to the ill usage prisoners received. He would have been contented with a moderate plunder, and less mischievous pranks could his companions have been brought to the same temper. But he was generally overruled, and, as he was engaged in that abominable society, he was obliged to be a partner in all their vile actions. Captain England sailed to the coast of Africa, after the island of Providence was settled by the English government, and the pirates surrendered to His Majesty's proclamation, and took several ships and vessels, particularly the Cadogan Snow, belonging to Bristol, at Sierra Leone, one Skinner, master, who was inhumanely murdered by some of the crew, that had lately been his own men, and served in that said vessel. It seems some quarrel had happened between them, so that Skinner thought fit to remove these fellows on board of a man of war, and at the same time refuse them their wages. Not long afterwards they found means to desert that service, and shipping themselves aboard a sloop in the West Indies, was taken by a pirate, and brought to Providence, and sailed upon the same account along with Captain England. As soon as Skinner had struck to the pirate, he was ordered to come on board in his boat, which he did, and the person that he first cast his eye upon proved to be his old boatswain, who stared him in the face like his evil genius, and accosted him in this manner. "'Ah, Captain Skinner, is it you? The only man I wish to see. I am much in your debt, and now I shall pay you all in your own coin.' The poor man trembled every joint when he found into what company he had fallen, and dreaded the event, as he had reason enough to do so, for the boatswain immediately called to his consorts, laid hold of the captain, made him fast to the windlass, and there pelted him with glass bottles, which cut him in a sad manner, 
after which they whipped him about the deck till they were weary, being deaf to all his prayers and entreaties. And at last, because he had been such a good master to his men, they said he should have an easy death, so they shot him through the head. They took some few things out of the snow, but gave the vessel and all her cargo to Howell Davis, the mate, and the rest of the crew, as will be hereafter mentioned in the chapter of Captain Davis. Captain England took a ship called the Pearl, Captain Tizard, commander, for which he exchanged his own sloop, fitted her up for the piratical account, and new christened her the Royal James, with which he took several ships and vessels of different nations at the Azores and Cape de Verde Islands. In the spring of 1719, the rovers returned to Africa, and, beginning at the River Gambia, sailed all down the coast, and between that and Cape Corso, took the following ships and vessels. The Eagle Pink, Captain Ricketts, commander, belonging to Cork, taken the 25th of March, having six guns and seventeen men on board, seven of which turned pirates. The Charlotte, Captain Olson of London, taken May the 26th, having eight guns and eighteen men on board, thirteen of which turned pirates. The Sarah, Captain Stunt of London, taken the 27th of May, having four guns and eighteen men on board, three of which turned pirates. The Bentworth, Captain Gardiner of Bristol, taken the 27th of May, having twelve guns and thirty men on board, twelve of which turned pirates. The Buck Sloop, Captain Sylvester of Gambia, taken the 27th of May, having two guns and two men on board, both turned pirates. The Carteret, Captain Snow of London, taken the 28th of May, having four guns and 18 men on board, five of which turned pirates. The Mercury, Captain Maggot of London, taken the 29th of May, having four guns and 18 men on board, five of which turned pirates. The Coward Galley, Captain Creed of London, taken the 17th of June, having two guns and 13 men on board, four of which turned pirates. The Elizabeth and Catherine, Captain Bridge of Barbados, taken June the 27th, having six guns and 14 men on board, four of which turned pirates. The Eagle Pink, being bound to Jamaica, the Sarah to Virginia, and the Buck to Maryland. They let them go, but the Charlotte, the Bentworth, the Cataret, and the Coward Galley, they burnt, and the Mercury and the Elizabeth and Catherine were fitted up for pirate ships. The former was new-named Queen Anne's Revenge, and commanded by one lane, and the other was called the Flying King, of which Robert Sample was appointed captain. These two left England upon the coast, sailed to the West Indies, where they took some prizes, cleaned and sailed to Brazil in November. They took several Portuguese ships there, and did a great deal of mischief. But in the height of their undertakings, a Portuguese man-of-war, which was an excellent sailor, came a very unwelcome guest to them, and gave them chase. The Queen Anne's revenge got off, but was lost a little while after upon that coast, and the flying king, giving herself over for lost, ran ashore. There were seventy men on board, twelve of which were killed, and the rest taken prisoners, of whom the Portuguese hanged thirty-eight, of which thirty-two were English, 
three Dutch, two French, and one of their own nation. England, in going down the coast, took the Peterborough galley of Bristol, Captain Owen, and the victory, Captain Rideout. The former they detained, but plundered the latter and let her go. In Cape Corso Road, they saw two sails at anchor, but before they could reach them, they slipped their cables and got close under Cape Corso Castle. These were the Wida, Captain Prince, and the John, Captain Ritter. The pirates upon this made a fire ship of a vessel they had lately taken, and attempted to burn them, as though they had been a common enemy, which, if effected, they could not have been one farthing the better for it. But the castle, firing warmly upon them, they withdrew, and sailed down to Wida Road, where they found another pirate, one Captain Labouche, who, getting thither before England arrived, had forestalled the market and greatly disappointed their brethren. Captain England, after this balk, went into a harbor, cleaned his own ship, and fitted up the Peterborough, which he called the Victory. They lived there very wantonly for several weeks, making free with the Negro women, and committing such outrageous acts that they came to an open rupture with the natives, several of whom they killed, and one of their town they set on fire. When pirates came out to sea, they put it to a vote what voyage to take, and the majority carrying it for the East Indies, they shaped their course accordingly, and arrived at Madagascar the beginning of the year 1720. They stayed not long there, but after taking in water and provisions, sailed for the coast of Malabar, which is a fine, fruitful country, in the East Indies, in the empire of the Mogul, but immediately subject to its own princes. It reaches from the coast of Canara to Cape Cameron, which is between 7 degrees 30 and 12 degrees north latitude, and in about 75 degrees east longitude, counting from the meridian of London. The old natives are pagans, but there is a great number of Mohammedans inhabiting among them, who are merchants and generally rich. On the same coast, but in a province to the northwest, lies Goa, Surat, Bombay, where the English, Dutch, and Portuguese have settlements. Hither our pirates came, having made a tour of half the globe, as the psalmists say of the devils, going about like roaring lions and seeking whom they might devour. They took several country ships, that is, Indian vessels, and one European, a Dutch ship, which they exchanged for one of their own, and then came back to Madagascar. They sent several of their hands on shore with tents, powder, and shot, to kill hogs, venison, and such other fresh provisions as the island afforded. And a whim came into their heads to seek out for the remains of Avery's crew, who they knew to be settled somewhere in the island. Accordingly, some of them traveled several days' journey without hearing any intelligence of them, and so were forced to return with the loss of their labor. For these men were settled on the other side of the island, and has been taking notice of under the chapter of Avery. They stayed not long here, after they had cleaned their ships, but sailing to Juana, they met two English and one Austin Indian men, coming out of that harbor, one of which, after a desperate resistance, they took, the particulars of which action is at length related in the following letter, 
Wrote by the Captain from Bombay. A letter from Captain Macra, dated at Bombay, November 16, 1720. We arrived the 25th of last July in company of the Greenwich at Juana, an island not far from Madagascar, and putting in there to refresh our men, we found fourteen pirates that came in their canoes from the Mayota, where the pirate ship to which they belonged, viz. the Indian Queen, 250 tons, 28 guns, and 90 men, commanded by Captain Oliver de la Bouche, bound from the Guinea coast to the East Indies, had been boogled and lost. They said they left the captain and forty of their men building a new vessel to proceed on their wicked design. Captain Kirby and I, concluding it might be of great service to the East India Company to destroy such a nest of rogues, were ready to sail for that purpose the 17th of August, about eight o'clock in the morning, when we discovered two pirate ships standing into the bay of Juana, one of thirty-four and the other of thirty guns. I immediately went on board the Greenwich, where they seemed very diligent in preparations for an engagement, and I left Captain Kirby with mutual promise of standing by each other. I then unmoored and got under sail, and brought two boats ahead to row me close to the Greenwich. But he, being open to a valley and a breeze, made the best of his way from me, which an Ostender in our company of twenty-two guns seen did the same, though the captain had promised heartily to engage with us, and I believe would have been as good as his word if Captain Kirby had kept his. About in half an hour after twelve, I called several times to the Greenwich to bear down to our assistance, and fired shot at him, but to no purpose. For though we did not doubt but he would join us, because when he got about a league from us, he brought his ship to, and looked on. Yet both he and the Ostender basely deserted us, and left us engaged with barbarous and inhumane enemies, with their black and bloody flags hanging over us, without the least appearance of escaping being cut to pieces. But God in his good providence determined otherwise, for notwithstanding their superiority, we engaged them both about three hours, during which the biggest received some shot betwixt wind and water, which made her keep off a little to stop her leaks. The other endeavored all she could to board us, by rowing with her oars, being within half a ship's length of us above an hour. But by good fortune we shot all her oars to pieces, which prevented them, and by consequence saved our lives. About four o'clock most of the officers and men posted on the quarter-deck, being killed and wounded, the largest ship making up to us with all diligence, being still within a cable's length of us, often giving us a broadside, and no hopes of Captain Kirby's coming to our assistance, we endeavored to run ashore, and though we drew four-foot water more than the pirate, it pleased God that he struck fast on a higher ground than we happily fell in with, so was disappointed a second time from boarding us. Here we had a more violent engagement than before. All my officers and most of my men behaved with unexpected courage, and, as we had a considerable advantage by having a broadside to his bow, we did him great damage. So that had Captain Kirby come in then, I believe we should have taken both, for we had one of them sure, but the other pirate, who was still firing at us, 
seeing the Greenwich did not offer to assist us, he supplied his consort with three boatfuls of fresh men. About five in the evening the Greenwich stood clear away to sea, leaving us struggling hard for life in the very jaws of death, which the other pirate that was afloat, seeing, got a warp out, and was hauling under our stern, by which time many of my men being killed and wounded, and no hopes left from being all murdered by enraged barbarous conquerors, I ordered all that could to get into the longboat under the cover of the smoke of our guns, so that with what some did in boats and others by swimming, most of us that were able got ashore by seven o'clock. When the pirates came aboard, they cut three of our wounded men to pieces. I, with a few of my people, made what haste I could to the Kingstown, twenty-five miles from us, where I arrived next day, almost dead with fatigue and loss of blood, having been sorely wounded in the head by a musket ball. At this town I heard that the pirates had offered ten thousand dollars to the country people to bring me in, which many of them would have accepted, only they knew the king and all his chief people were in my interest. Meantime, I caused a report to be spread that I was dead of my wounds, which much abated their fury. About ten days after, being pretty well recovered, and hoping the malice of our enemies was nigh over, I began to consider the dismal condition we were reduced to, being in a place where we had no hopes of getting a passage home, all of us in a manner naked, not having had time to get another shirt or a pair of shoes. Having obtained leave to go on board the pirates, and a promise of safety, several of the chief of them knew me, and some of them had sailed with me, which I found of great advantage, because, notwithstanding their promise, some of them would have cut me, and all that would not enter with them to pieces, had it not been for the chief captain, Edward England, and some others I knew. They talked of burning one of their ships, which we had so entirely disabled, as to be no further useful to them, and to lift the Cassandra in her room. But in the end I managed my tack so well that they made me a present of the said shattered ship, which was Dutch-built, called the Fancy, about three hundred tons, and also a hundred and twenty-nine bales of the company's cloth, though they would not give me a rag of my clothes. They sailed the third of September, and with jury masts, and such old sails as they left me, I made shift to do the like on the 8th, together with forty-three of my ship's crew, including two passengers and twelve soldiers, having but five tons of water aboard, and after a passage of forty-eight days, I arrived here, October 26th, almost naked and starving, having been reduced to a pint of water a day, and almost in despair of ever seeing land, by reason of the calms we met with, between the coast of Arabia and Malabar. We had in all thirteen men killed and twenty-four wounded, and were told that we had destroyed about ninety or a hundred of the pirates. When they left us, they were about three hundred whites and eighty blacks in both ships. I am persuaded, had our confort, the Greenwich, done his duty, we had destroyed both of them, and got two hundred thousand pounds for our owners and selves, whereas to his deserting us, the loss of the Cassandra may justly be imputed. I have delivered all the bales that were given to me into the company's warehouse, 
for which the governor and council have ordered me a reward. Our governor, Mr. Boone, who is extremely kind and civil to me, has ordered me home with his packet, but Captain Harvey, who had a prior promise being come in with the fleet, goes in my room. The governor has promised me a country voyage to help make me up my losses, and would have me stay to go home with him next year. Captain Macra certainly run a great hazard in going aboard the pirate, and began quickly to repent his credulity, for though they had promised that no injury should be done to his person, he found their words were not to be trusted, and it may be supposed that nothing but the desperate circumstances Captain Macra imagined himself to be in could have prevailed upon him to fling himself and company into their hands, perhaps not knowing how firmly the natives of the island were attached to the English nation. For about twenty years ago, Captain Cornwall, commodore of an English squadron, assisted them against another island called Mohila, for which they have ever since communicated all the grateful offices in their power, insomuch that it became a proverb that an Englishman and a Juana man were all one. England was inclined to favor Captain Macra, but he was so free to let him know that his interest was declining amongst them, and that the pirates were so provoked at the resistance he had made against them that he was afraid he should hardly be able to protect him. He therefore advised him to sooth up and manage the temper of Captain Taylor, a fellow of a most barbarous nature, who was become a great favorite amongst them, for no other reason than because he was a greater brute than the rest. Macra did what he could to soften this beast, and plied him with warm punch, notwithstanding which they were in a tumult whether they should make an end to him or no, when an accident happened which turned to the favor of the poor captain. A fellow with a terrible pair of whiskers and a wooden leg, being struck around with pistols like the man in an almanac with darts, comes swearing and vaporing upon the quarter-deck, and asks in a damning manner, which was Captain Macra. The captain expected no less than that this fellow would be his executioner. But when he came near him, he took him by the hand, swearing, damn him, he was glad to see him, and show me the man, says he, that offers to hurt Captain Macra, for I'll stand by him. And so, with many oaths, he told him, he was an honest fellow, and they had formerly sailed with him. This put an end to the dispute, and Captain Taylor was so mellowed with the punch that he consented that the old pirate ship and so many bales of cloth should be given to Captain Macra, and so he fell asleep. England advised Captain Macra to get off with all expedition, lest when the beast should awake he might repent his generosity, which advice was followed by the captain. Captain England, having sided so much to Captain Macra's interest, was a means of making him many enemies among the crew, they thinking such good usage inconsistent with their polity, because it looked like procuring favor at the aggravation of their crimes. Therefore, upon imagination or report that Captain Macra was fitting out against them with the company's force, he was soon abdicated or pulled out of his government, and marooned with three more on the island of Mauritius, an island, indeed, not to be complained of, 
had they accumulated any wealth by their villainies that would have afforded some future comfortable prospect, for it abounds with fish, deer, hogs, and other flesh. Sir Thomas Herbert says, The shores with coral and ambergris, but I believe the Dutch had not deserted it, had there been much of these commodities to have been found. It was in 1722 resettled by the French, who have a fort at another neighboring island, called Don Mascarene, and are touched at for water, wood, and refreshments, by French ships bound to, or for, India, as St. Helena and Cape Bon Esperance are by us and the Dutch. From this place, Captain England and his companions, having made a little boat of staves and old pieces of deal left there, went over to Madagascar, where they subsist at present on the charity of some of their brethren, who had made better provisions for themselves than they had done. The pirates detained some officers and men belonging to Captain Macra, and, having repaired the damages received in their rigging, they sailed for India. The day before they made land saw two ships to the eastward, who at first sight they took to be English, and ordered one of the prisoners, who had been an officer with Captain Macra, to tell them the private signals between the company's ships the captain swearing he would cut him in pound pieces, if he did not do it immediately. But unable, was forced to bear their scrutiny till they came up with them, and found they were two more ships from Muscat with horses. They brought the captain of them and the merchants on board, torturing them and rifling the ships in order to discover riches, as believing they came from Mocha. But being balked in their expectation, and next morning seeing land, and at the same time a fleet in shore plying to windward, they were puzzled how to dispose of them. To let them go was to discover and ruin the voyage, and it was cruel to sink the men and horses with the ships, as many of them were inclined to. Therefore, as a medium, they brought them to anchor, threw all their sails overboard, and cut one of the ship's masts half through. While they lay at anchor, and were all the next day employed in taking out water, one of the after-mentioned fleet bore towards them, with English colors, answered with a red ensign from the pirates, but did not speak with one another. At night they left the Muscat ships, weighed with the sea-wind, and stood to the northward after this fleet. About four next morning, just as they were getting under sail with the land-wind, the pirates came amongst them, made no stop, but fired their great and small guns very briskly, till they got through, and, as daylight cleared, were in a great consternation in their minds, having all along taken them for Angria's fleet. What to do was the point, whether to run or pursue. They were sensible of their inferiority of strength, having no more than three hundred men in both ships, and forty of them negroes besides. The victory had them four pumps at work, and must inevitably been lost, had it not been for some hand-pumps and several pair of standards brought out of the Cassandra to relieve and strengthen her. But observing the indifferency of the fleet, chose rather to chase than run, and though the best way to save themselves was to play at bull-beggar with the enemy. So they came up with a sea-wind, about gunshot to leeward, the great ships of the fleet ahead, 
and some others astern, which latter they took for fire vessels. And these ahead, gaining from them, by cutting away their boats, they could do nothing more than continue their course all night, which they did, and found them next morning out of sight, excepting a catch and some few gallivants. Small sort of vessels, something like the Falecas of the Mediterranean, and hoists like them triangular sails. They bore down, which the catch perceiving, transported her people on board a gallivant, and set fire to her. The others proved too nimble and made off. The same day they chased another gallivant, and took her, being come from Gogo, bound for Calicut, with cotton. Of these men they inquired concerning the fleet, supposing they must have been in it, and although they protested they had not seen a ship or boat since they left Gogo, and pleaded very earnestly for favor, yet they threw all their cargo overboard, and squeezed their joints in a vice to extort confession. But they, entirely ignorant of who or what this fleet should be, were obliged not only to sustain this torment, but next day, a fresh easterly wind having split the galvan's sails, they put her company into the boat with nothing but a trysail, no provisions, and only four gallons of water, half of it salt, and then, out of sight of land, to shift for themselves. End of chapter 5, part 1 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Real Medina, Texas